Rhea has just been fed up with all of it. She's just like, dude, what you doing? (laughs) These are our kids. Stop eating your kids, (laughs) man. Welcome to your eulogy. In this episode, I talk to my cousin Seamus, who's a freshman in high school, and he tells me some Greek myths about death. Um, And one of the themes is you don't mess with fate, even if you're a god, even if you're Titan, if you're a Titan. Don't mess with it. Seamus really impressed me. I thought he would tell me these stories and it wouldn't be... um, It it would just be kind of cool and kind of cute because you have a high schooler telling you Greek myths. But he really got my attention and I was listening to him as if he was a TA um, laying down some cool-ass myths. Um, This is a second... This is the second in a three-part series where I talk to my two little cousins and my uncle about death. Um... In northern Minnesota, I, it was great listening to Seamus, and I hope you enjoy this episode. episode I open up with a death joke um, I don't have one picked out for this so I'll, I'll improv one um, hey so how wh- how come death hates watermelons I, I don't know because they don't scream when he kills them <laughs> all right um, welcome to your eulogy podcast where I talk to someone about their life so that we can talk about their death. This is a special episode because we're not actually going to do the normal interview part. Um, I have my uh, cousin Seamus here who um, is into Greek myths and um, other um, um, myths and rites and things like that from all over the globe. Seamus is a freshman in high school. Correct. Um, and he's a voracious reader, um, and yeah, that's as much of a setup as I have for you. Um, what, what did you think when I asked you to be on this podcast? When you asked me the other day, I was, it kind of really sparked, like, what would I think? And it's, it's a really deep question. It kind of just like tears into a little bit. Yeah. It's like a six feet deep. To be precise. Um, so, yeah, I, I because you like, you know, read in myths and stuff like that, uh, what death myths and um, stories like that um, do you like or find provoking? One of the ones that always, like, I, what I think about is the, um, the tale of Orpheus. Now, Orpheus is the son of, of Zeus and some other minor deity, and he has an amazing musical talent. He has a w- incredible voice and just can play any in- instrument that he thinks of. He can he invents new instruments and gets a- gets them out of trouble. And he uses it in such a way that it like transcends being art. Like it's just a way of just pure pure expression. It allows him to interact with the world in a different way. Like like all of like this the the sound euphemisms that come from that such as 
like breaking your things with sound all come from words that are associated with his myth and how he interacts with the world such as him charming fish out of the sea and changing people's perspective just completely like if if he runs into a, a town diomede diomedes in sparta and he plays and he just changes everyone everyone is ready to kill him minutes before and then he starts singing and it, it changes but after a little while he's become incredibly famous and everyone's sort of scared and but also loves him for his gift he meets a, a nymph who just completely rocks his world like he has never kind of really felt anything besides the music and she understands that but she interacts with them in a different way like she's not like a worshiper nor is she super aloof she's just the focus of his life so he they get married and the night of their wedding um minor god is incredibly jealous of orpheus and and his bride so he brings a snake and the snake kills orpheus's wife-to-be oh shit <laughs> yeah big time and this is just this is the loss of orpheus's driving focus because even though he had the music even though he had all his gifts it didn't mean as much without her so he stops playing, and then he starts again. And he plays the most incredibly sorrowful tune. Like, it's nightmarish. It's just everything is, the grass is dying. The fish are just, just not, not work. Nothing, nothing is going on like it should be. The people aren't working anymore. The gods are just listless. And everything is just fallen out of its circle. And Orpheus just keeps playing and playing and playing until everyone has just cried out, so to speak. And he just is so incredibly just lost because he's lost his driving point in his life. And out of that loss breeds this desperation, this this need. And it goes to him even needing to defy death. So he goes down to, to Hades, the land of the dead, and he bargains with Persephone, the wife of Hades, to bring back his wife if he will play for her. And he does that. But Hades, the god of death in the underworld, will only allow Orpheus to go back into the mortal world with his wife if he never looks back. If he never, he just has to trust in, that his wife is there and, and that Hades has done the, the right thing. And that's when he has to walk the insurmountable distance from where he is at to the mortal world. So he 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 does it. He's like, well, I trust her. This is she's the love of my life. This is the focus that I almost destroyed the world because of her. I can I can do this. I can walk this this distance without knowing that she's there. And so he walks, and he walks, and he walks, and he is feet he is so incredibly close to escaping and just this this wave of just doubt just washes over him and he needs to look back because he he thinks of everything that Hades has ever done everything that he has ever wished on people and he really and he thinks that he can't trust him he loses his faith that his wife is still there he loses his his drive he just he needs to know if if this was was if this will be all for nothing so right as he is about to leave the tunnel 
he turns around. And what he sees is the shade of his wife just slowly fading away. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you done goofed, bud. And man, he just he falls into that despair again, but no one no, it loses he loses his gift. By breaking his his wife's trust, by breaking his own trust, he loses his gift. So his music is still technically beautiful. It's still a wonderful thing, but yeah, it yeah. it loses its message. Man. Oh God, My poor guy. I mean, you did a good job telling that because I had heard the story before. I forgot a lot of the details, but yeah, I I kind of always. The last time I heard the story, I and I've I've heard it you know, probably four or five times in my life, and every time I hear it, I'm just like, "Why'd you look back, dummy?" But the way that you just described it, um, yeah, that kind of makes sense that um, that he looked back because it's because Hades. I mean, he's, yeah. he's not that great of a guy, yeah. right? And it's like the it's a it's why the 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 greek stories are so powerful is because they describe the human condition they describe our doubt in ourselves and in others the 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 way that we don't trust anybody and we don't trust ourselves because of doubt and sadness and that just story just caps encapsulates it so incredibly perfectly yeah yeah um yeah do do, do you have any other um Weird old mythical stories about death that you find interesting? Um, one of the reoccurring themes in Greek mythology is is trying to prevent something that you know is going to happen, and by doing this, you only make it so much more wor- so much worse. Mm. And that is perfectly encapsulated by Kronos. Now, Kronos is is an interesting figure. He is one of the first titans. And he is the original, like, paternal fi- figure in all of mythology. H- his role is that he is his wife, Rhea, and he have children, the gods. And after Cronus has taken the world from his father and his mother, in which he had to cut up his father into thousands of tiny little pieces so that he could he could regain this realm so you have to imagine that he had to he had to kill his own father he oh had my to Lord. he had to work he had to commit patricicide which in greek society is the worst possible sin so they're just they're talking about how much he had to sacrifice and what he lost in himself of having to, having to reach that feat having to be the, <sighs> at the top of that mountain and he loses his well humanity so to speak he loses the fact he loses his his own soul. He he will die. He will destroy everything just to protect the fact that he has ownership over everything. So he has some kids. If you're familiar with the story, you know where this is going. He starts. So he has his first kid, and Kronos, up until the point of the birth, is excited about having a hair, but he looks into the eyes of the child and he realizes that. This guy's just gonna cut me up into a thousand little pieces, just like I did to my own father. Oh, wait, is this Zeus? No, this is this isn't Zeus yet. This is one of the original gods. It's not Zeus yet. Oh, I thought Zeus's dad was one of those. Um... Yeah, no, it is Zeus's dad. Zeus just isn't eaten first. <laughs> Zeus isn't actually technically eaten ever. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Zeus eats people. He doesn't. He doesn't get eaten. <laughs> 
And so he just pops them into his mouth like a like a jelly bean, and that goes on. Happens six more times to the six original gods, and until Rhea has just been fed up with all of it, she's just like, "Dude, what you doing? Stop eating <laughs> These are kids. our kids. Stop eating our kids, <laughs> man." So she has her seventh kid, I think, Zeus, and. Instead of giving him the bundle of clothes to eat, she gives him a rock. Mm. And Kronos, being, I presume, very drunk on wine, um, pops the rock in his mouth, thinks it's a child, and then Rhea runs Zeus off into this little mountain cave surrounded by nymphs and animals to raise him to keep him safe. And they don't have any more kids. Until they have more kids. Now, they have other kids that are not the gods. They have these kind of more monstrous creatures in Greek mythology. They're responsible for, like, most of the pantheon. So, like, all of the Cyclopes are all descended from those first kids. The um, horrible monsters, the hundred-handed ones, all from them. Weird. And and so, some of the... Some of the kids are just being raised in the cave, the ones that she tricked him with the well, rocks. Well, Zeus is the only one who survived, who only who got through that. The hundred-handed ones and the Cyclopes are thrown into Tartarus. Oh, what's tar? Is that what's Tartar Tartarus? Yep, it's a giant pit prison. And these are their <laughs> their kids. Yeah, you gotta imagine. He just lo- that's why he's lost all of his his sanity. He's just yeah. completely lost it, and so. The uh, original children, being gods, are still growing and alive in Cronus' stomach. And that gives him all sorts of problems. And after Zeus reaches, like, probably 18 years old, he is, like, at full control of his godly powers and knows about his family. The Mm -hmm. nymphs have told him. And he goes to get back his brothers and sisters. So he goes... And he tricks Kronos, and then he kills Kronos. How's cuts, he? Him, cuts him off into a million pieces, and Just then takes the kids Just what he was afraid of? Yep. So. And then he throws the, the pieces into Tartarus, so that Kronos can never be resurrected. So, yeah, um, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep, if exactly. If you fear your kids that much, mm-hmm. they'll end up and that's a you. that's a reoccurring thing in Greek mythology. The self-fulfilling prophecy is definitely one of the main themes. Um, well, this is an interview series about death. Um, and so I guess what I'm feeling is like when you, it's, it's a tale about like having to acknowledge and accept the natural course of things, such as, you know, getting old and losing power, which is what Kronos doesn't want. And he's like this immortal, mm-hmm. uh, Titan. And so he doesn't get old. So he just doesn't understand how the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I interviewed your sister earlier today, um, and I'm not sure if I'll have this on the same podcast as that or not. Um, but we were talking about um, when she was born and your uncle Tom, and then when Grandpa Tom died. Um, and you were a little bit older, but you were still pretty young, right? Mm-hmm. So do, do you have any memories of that? Um, I I do. I remember my. I remember being on the plane. That's definitely one of my first memories because it's just so impacted. And we went to the funeral and I remember 
my parents crying, and I was very tra- traumatic because that's the first time I ever saw that, and that was like pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember getting eaten alive by red ants. Oh, yeah, snuck up here outdoors, got all over me. That wasn't fun. That's pretty rough. Yeah, so I was just like a comp. It was like a accumulation of a ton of like really bad stuff, which was just not a great first memory. And then six months later, we do the same thing with my grandfather. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty hard. Um, and as you got older and you learned why, because it was was it both because they both had heart conditions. Yep. Um, both high blood pressure. Yeah. So as as the son of someone with the same genes, how how does that make you feel and think about um, mortality? Well, my dad is is like a crazy cool guy because he is he's an Iron Man and he's done so many marathons. But he didn't start doing that until the death of his father and brother, because he did he wanted to be because he saw his brother's kid grow up without a father, and he really 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 wanted to be there, mm-hmm. and so he just poured himself into that making sure that he would be there just pushing himself so that he would he would be he was doing everything that he could to be with us yeah yeah certainly yeah i'm gonna talk to him about that later uh today um because yeah that's a really scary position to be in mm-hmm. um you know because yeah um but well, how do you feel about that do you just not think about it too much? Do you just kind of, um, or do you have, have you developed any recurring thought about like, oh no, you know, like my cousin's, you know, dad died out of nowhere. Maybe like mine could too. Well, uh, well, I'm super glad that my dad's taking such great care of himself mm-hmm. and knowing that, that he does that not for himself, but for me and my siblings is like a really big wake up call. Like when I want to be lazy, like I just don't want to go outside. I don't want to have to go do exercise and, or, or eat right. I just, I just feel like I'm just beating myself up because that's just ridiculous compared to what my dad's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you? Yeah, I almost feel like it's it's um it's unfair to you because <laughs> you're so young. You know? Well, no. It, it, I mean, like it's a good way to live. It, it's good for me too. Mm-hmm. It's definitely led to my own personal philosophy and making me a better person. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of understanding mm-hmm. that life does have an end. Um, yeah, that, that was interesting when you were saying when you saw your parents, like, really sad at the funeral. Um, like, like that was, like, a new type of thing. I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. And that was terrifying. Yeah. How, 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 did, they, how did they look? Was it just, like... Um, with my dad crying which I had never ever seen before mm -hmm. and he was just looked so just beaten like just so just like like he just kind of lost the light in his eyes a little bit and that like I even when I was that young I could I could see that and that was scary when I was talking to your sister and even people my age like we're so far away from um from death for the most part and except for, you know, when we're unlucky and whatnot, that I feel it's almost impossible to actually think of fully. Do you feel that? Or do you feel um, you have a, a stronger conception of 
um, of the fact that you're going to die one day. Yeah, well, I I have some strong connections to it. I have I've had a couple of like people went to my school and like uh, close friends who got like diagnosed with cancer and who had like experience with that. And I had friends whose parents have died, mm-hmm. and that just like it's it doesn't mean that I have those experiences, but I I can kind of see how other people react to them. And I mean like as I read a lot and a lot of what I read is has affected me a lot with how I think about death like phrases always leap into mind I've always loved the phrase uh, memento mori and understanding that I don't want to I don't want to be scared of death but I don't want to embrace it either Uh, it, it, it manifests itself in that like old cliche of just like trying to live each day to the fullest right why wait for something you could do today why put something off that you could get going? How do you live with gratitude and how do you try to make those things happen? Mm. Ann and I talk a lot about the fact that we both feel so fortunate, even with these tragedies in our history, right? Mm-hmm. I want to n- live knowing that I'm going to die, but that means that every day carries greater weight. Uh, what does memento mori mean? It means remember you will die. In oh, Latin. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel like um, because your family's close and because you've been touched by tragedy that you're not allowed to dislike your parents or siblings? I don't know. I, cause I, I like my parents and I like my siblings. So I, I mean, I, I just don't, don't know. I don't think that, I think that my, I just don't have that frame of reference. I can't imagine not liking them. Yeah. Well, that's an absolutely one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, I, I, I know a lot of people, um, who, who don't have, um, such nice connections with your family. I mean, I'll give it some time. At some point you'll, you'll start to be like, screw you, mom and dad. Oh, okay. Shut up. Projecting. (laughs) Okay. You got me on that one. (laughs) Um, your family is really, a really loving family. Um, and yeah, thinking about all, all these things that have happened kind of is, is like a bittersweet um, result of, of such tragic because um, because there is a tenderness in, in your family that I don't see in other families that are close mm-hmm. um, maybe this has something to do with it maybe it's just that your house is kind of small and there's a bunch of you in it <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably <laughs> thing. no a lot of it is my dad has talked to me and my brother a couple of times about how sad he is that he doesn't have a brother anymore mm-hmm. and that's like holy crap you can't f- keep fighting about who's gonna get a seat at the table if you're thinking about that and my brother was a sophomore in high school so my brother and i were super super tight like we became best friends we were always close growing up but mm-hmm. we realized in high school like oh no we're best friends we have the same we have groups of friends that interlace and we want to be friends with them together and it was a really special thing so that really like was like it's a wake up call every time you think about it. Yeah, that that's great. I I remember I have uh, three brothers, and I never really listened to my parents when they would, you know, they they once said like when you grow up like they'll be your best friend, and I'll be like, whatever, man. <laughs> um, but it's a different relationship. They aren't my best friends. It, there's something much different, and it's uh, much more special. Um, how do you like? What's your relationship with Finn? Do you, do you think he's a cool guy? Yeah, Finn and I are like, we're 
especially when we're like working at something that we both like have mutual love towards have like a really good dynamic with working together like we really understand how each of us works and we understand our strengths and we both fight for each other in so many situations yeah he's a really nice guy um he's a good kiddo yeah how would if he if you know if something awful happened and like finn died do you feel like part of you would be gone or do you feel that your connection to him is something different no that's like because what i really love finn is just he and i just being together is just a really fun dynamic because i know a lot of people who don't have close relationships with their siblings or don't have siblings and i just feel so lucky to have one so i'd be i don't even know what would happen I'd love to be remembered for what I I did and for what I who I held dear and I don't know if I was writing it now it'd be pretty boring <laughs> um, but I really love music and theater and all that stuff and I want to be remembered for doing that and I want to be remembered for my siblings and for my friends and how how I fit in with those people um, I really love what I've been doing with my life so far, but hoping that I don't die in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I hope I get remembered for what I do and for being a, a good a good person in my community, because that's something that's really important to me, and for how I've interacted with people. Hmm. That's kind of what I get. Thank you for listening to Your Eulogy. My name is Matthew Schneeman. I produced, recorded, and did the music for this episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. And I don't have an email for you to give questions yet, so I'll get on that once I get more professional. Thank you. Thank you.